Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. For most of us, prayer is thought of as an individual thing. It's a time when we talk to God and listen for His answers and direction for our lives. But what if prayer was less about us and more about the other people in our lives? What if prayer was a time to bring the needs of others to God rather than just our own? In today's message, we'll explore the revelation of supplication and intercession from our series titled 40 Days of Prayer. Listen in, take notes, and I'll talk to you at the end of the broadcast. <laughs> We've been talking about prayer, 40 days of prayer. And those of you guys who have been following us in 40 days of prayer know that on Wednesday evenings, we've been having um, uh, uh, a Wednesday night prayer teaching, and we've been teaching a few different things. On Sunday mornings, we've been teaching different things than we've been teaching on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, we're, we're going a little more expanded than we're able to go on Sunday mornings. And so here on Sunday morning, we've been specifically, specifically through this, been focused on an acronym which helps us all remember how to pray. It's a four-letter acronym. That four-letter ac- four acronym is A-C-T-S. Adoration for praising God. Confession by, number one, learning how to confess our faults and our flaws, how to confess those to God. But then also remembering that confession doesn't stop with just confessing what's wrong. Confession also means we confess what God's word says about us. In other words, we can confess that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are awesome. Say, I'm awesome. Yeah, man, amen. Confession means that we agree with God. The word confess means to agree with. And so we confess our sin because we realize I've done something that doesn't meet the mark of what God says. However, I also believe that God says he forgives me. So, Lord, I confess my sin and you're faithful and just to forgive me of all the sin and to cleanse me of the unrighteousness. So I confess. And what does God do? God responds with forgiveness. When he forgives me, then I now am able to say, Father, I thank you that I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That I'm righteous. I am a righteous person. And my righteousness doesn't make me better than anybody else. My righteousness means I've received righteousness from Christ, which means I have the right to stand in the presence of God without feeling ashamed. But some of us, we don't feel comfortable standing in front of others without being ashamed. There's certain things that if, if, if I called somebody up here and made them tell you their deepest, darkest thought, most of us would be embarrassed to say it in front of everybody. Come up here and tell me your deepest, darkest fear. Tell us your deepest, darkest secret. Come up here right now. Come tell us. Can we just say it? Or will we go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting that out there. Why? Because all of us have things inside of us we don't care for anyone else to know. Those things indicate something in us that's not presentable to others that we don't feel good about or we don't want people. There's something about it. We, for some reason, we don't want other people to know. Even though you're your deepest, darkest secret might be light to somebody sitting next to you. Your thing you're most ashamed of, the person next to you might have a worse story than you. You don't know that because they're doing the same thing. We all do it. 
But there's one place we can go, and that's before the throne of grace to confess that thing before God, and then to have that thing confessed and be totally in the light with God, whether we ever changed or not. To come boldly before the throne of grace, to be able to stand in the presence of God and tell God things you can't tell other people. You can confess to God. You can talk to God. You can have a conversation, a dialogue with God. That's what you can do because you are able to confess. And the third thing is thanksgiving. The T is be able to thankful. Be thankful for all things. Everything in our life. If we can become thankful for the, all the things in our life, it changes our whole outlook on life. It changes what we think about life, what we think about the things in front of us. It changes how we feel that we are or aren't blessed. Because when you're thankful, you start realizing how blessed you are already. (laughs) So your neighbor say, I'm thankful. That means I know that I'm blessed. You are blessed, amen? Thankfulness means you know you're blessed. I thank God how blessed I am. I thank God how blessed I am. Count your blessings. Don't count your blessings. No, count your blessings. Count them all up. Man, I'm blessed. Look, I'm blessed about this. I'm blessed about that. I'm blessed about this. I'm blessed about that. And guess what? After you count your blessings, then you sit next to your neighbor and say, let me help you count yours too. Because it's not about me being blessed and nobody else. Because what that indicates is an unrenewed mind. Amen? Amen. So last week, we talked about Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it said that we're supposed to rejoice when? Always. Always. Rejoice always. So we learned an acronym of prayer, A-C-T, and we're going to get to the S today. But this said, rejoice always. Rejoicing should be part of your everyday behavior. Rejoicing. Look at the word rejoice. Re means do it again. Joyce. What's the first two letters? J-O. Joyce comes from joy. It means get happy again. <laughs> you were happy before, get happy again. Rejoice. In other words, think about what you were happy about yesterday and bring that today and rejoice. (laughs) Get happy again about what happened yesterday. Rejoicing is thinking about what happened yesterday and being able to celebrate it. Amen? Man, rejoice. I turned 50. I rejoice. Rejoice. I just got a new job. Rejoice before you start thinking, I hate the job I got. Because one day, it was a point when you rejoiced about that job. (laughs) Amen. There's a day when you got that job offer and you celebrated and you were happy and excited. Today, make sure you go to work and do the same thing. Rejoice. Think about what it was good when you first got it. Don't think about what you don't like about it now. (laughs) Amen. Rejoice always. 
Have an attitude of constant rejoicing, rejoicing always, always being able to reach back into your past and pull back something good and bring it to the future. Rejoicing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing means that you're constantly in a constant state of prayer. Prayer, really simple. What? Talk to God. Listen to God. Move with God. Prayer, that's prayer. Can you talk to him? Can you listen to him? And can you move and do what God says to do when he says it? That's what prayer is. And all of us were taught the experience of, if you were taught to pray, that prayer sometimes was taught as a one-sided conversation, that you talk to God and you wait for something to happen. And that's what I was taught. I was taught to pray and wait. But I found out I was supposed to pray and listen. <laughs> because many times God was telling me what to do instead of doing it for me. Amen? So let's look at Luke chapter 11. I have a long journey I want to take you on, but I can't take you all the way today. Amen? So listen close, because I'm going to take you as far as you can go. I'm going to stop when you get tired. (laughs) Amen? Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, excuse me, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we also, uh uh-oh, look close. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. (laughs) we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us turn to your neighbor say if you owe me i forgive (laughs) and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I want to stop right here and I want you to notice something. The thing I want you to notice most significantly about this passage, if you go back beginning in verse two, he says, when you pray, say what is the first word? It's our father. Number one, he's a father. Praise the Lord. He's a father. Praise God. Our God is a father. He is not Jehovah that's in the sky, past where you can understand. He's our father. Father who comes and sits down and looks at you and says, boy, what you did today? Well, amen. Amen. He's a father. But he's not just a father. He's He's our father. 
Let me help you with understanding prayer. And this is the thing I'm going to hammer on you today. I'm going to say it over and over and over again today. One of the biggest problems Christians have with prayer is prayer has become one of the most selfish things that any Christian does. Because most Christians' prayers are all about them. We have become so selfish in our prayers, we talk about our, my gift, my anointing, my prayer, my need, my this, my that, my that, and God is saying, I'm, I'm all y'all, Father. <laughs> our Father. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father. Start off, not my, our. First thing out of our mouth needs to not be my God. Yes, he's your God, but he's our God. He's our God. First thing you have to know about prayer is if you're going to be successful in prayer and your prayer is all about you, you're going to miss God. And God's going to bless you in spite of your prayers, <laughs> not because of your prayers. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen? Now listen, Luke chapter 11 I want to talk to you in terms of timing. Luke chapter 11 is Jesus has been with his disciples for close to a year. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has begun his public ministry and has what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he told his disciples about prayer. And he told them in Luke, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father who is in heaven. Exact same words, right? He told them that. They went on from there. They lived and were following Jesus. A year later, they say, Jesus, they heard him pray. And they said, listen, Jesus, we need you to teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples how to pray. He's like, I already talked to y'all. <laughs> I've already explained this once. So let me tell you again. When you pray, say this. Our Father who's in heaven. When you read through the rest of the prayer, what you will also find is over and over and again, it never says, give me this day, my daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those that are indebted to us. It's always about we. Pray about we. Pray about we. What does that mean? That the ideal prayer for the Christian is a prayer of intercession. It's praying for others. Praying for others. Learning how to pray for others. Why does God want you praying for others? <laughs> he wants you praying for others because he already knows what your needs are. Verse 8, then he said this to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him in midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door is shut. And my children are in with me in the bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, that's Jesus calling. 
I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Next thing you need to know about prayer, prayer is about consistency and persistence. Consistency and persistence. He tells them here, he tells them, this is how you pray. But then after he tells them, he said, now you need to understand this. Prayer is like this man who's in his house, shut his door. Everybody shut down the night. How many of y'all, have, you know, what's shutdown time for everybody? Think about what your shutdown time in your house is and what happens. The kids are put to bed. The lights are off. The refrigerator's closed. Like Tammy said, the kitchen is closed. We shut down, everybody's in the bed, and you hear a beating at the door. Boom, 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 boom. I need some bread. (laughs) Number one, don't be beating on my door. (laughs) Number two, what do you need bread for when everybody in town is going to bed? Sleep already. Where you been? What have you been doing? Number three, like you said, my kids are in the bed. You're going to wake my kids up. How many of y'all don't wake these kids up? (laughs) You know how I fight to fight to get these kids to go to bed? Don't wake them up. He said, for all those reasons, you will not give it to him because he's his friend. He's your friend. It's not a stranger. It's your friend at the door. You won't give it to him and get up for him because he's your friend. But if he keeps on knocking, eventually you're going to get up. You will get up and you'll give him whatever he asks for. Come on, man. Come, be, just be quiet. Come in here. What do you need? <laughs> just take it. Take it. Matter of fact, get, take these two. Go. Go. Get out of here. <laughs> I got to go to bed. You'll get him out of there. You'll give him what he needs and get him out. That's what Jesus is saying. We all had that experience. So you know what persistence is. And then he tells him this. Verse 9. And I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Notice the word here. Everyone who asks receives. How many of you are witnesses that everybody that asks receives? Some of us are and some of us aren't because I've had stuff I asked for I didn't receive. (laughs) This is everyone who asks receives. How do we resolve that? How do we reconcile that? Keep your finger there and turn to James chapter four. We're going to come back. James chapter four. James chapter 4 explains why. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covenant cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you what? Do not ask. Well, wait a minute. He said, if you ask, you receive. So what does that mean? Verse three is the next one. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask what? Amiss. Why? That you may spend it on your own pleasures. It gets right back to the same thing. When prayer becomes selfish, we're blocking ourselves from God. When our prayers become self-centered, we're blocking ourselves from God. Because what is God? God is love. And God is trying to use us as instruments of love. The relationship God is trying to cultivate with us is not about us getting blessed. I read, I, I was reading some information from a pastor at a large church in Southern California, and he has what he refers to as circles of commitment. And there are five circles. And I was reading the circles of commitment previously, and I read them and I thought about them as levels. And then the Holy Spirit said, Derry, they're not levels. They're relationships. And I had to resolve it because it changed my thinking. And in this, this, this five circles he has, is he describes people's commitment to church. And he has these five circles, and they start in the center being core. And then he has a group out that is committed. And then he has a group that's called congregation. Then he has another circle that's called um, a crowd. And then he has community as the fifth circle. And so I've always looked at those and thought of those as levels. And the problem for me thinking those are levels is is because I'm thinking without a love mind. I'm thinking in my normal, human, everyday, business, corporate mindset. Everything's a level. Everything's an org chart. When the kingdom is not an org chart, the kingdom of God is something that he draws all men to. That he draws all men, and he draws all men without a one-to-one or without a one-to-one relationship. In other words, we just don't relate one-to-one. It's one-to-many. All of us directly relate to God. All of us directly relate to God. God has, through Jesus, made it so that there's no intermediary. That we come boldly before the throne of grace ourselves. In religion, you have to come to the priest. And the priest represents you before God. In the kingdom of God, you come to God directly. And through the blood of Jesus, he becomes your priest. But you become one with him and you then can talk to God directly. Because of your relationship with Jesus. It is about the relationship that you have with Jesus that then gets you into a new position. So in terms of these five circles, the thing I had to get my mind wrapped around was it not being levels, but being relationships. And that all of us have a relationship to each other and we have a relationship to the church as a whole. And if you understand that you have a relationship with the church as a whole and you view yourself as part of God's kingdom and part of God's core, then you realize, you know what? I get, to, I get the opportunity to give God my all. Or I take the opportunity to give God one thing or another. Or I take the opportunity to just receive from God. Or I take the opportunity to just know that God exists. Or I take the opportunity to just believe that we just hear. And each of those relationships to God indicates one of those circles going out. So as I'm reading and as I'm studying and I'm thinking about leadership and church and different types of things, the thing that God brought me back to prayer is, Derry, prayer is my desire to have all people be at my core. 
Prayer is, is God's calling for all people to be at the center of his will, at the center of his desire, at the center of his calling, and that every person in the body of Christ has an opportunity to be close to him. That there's difference between relating to God and leadership in the body of Christ. And the book of Ephesians starts to help us understand. And what James was saying is that, you know what the problem is? He said, you're asking, but you're asking amiss because you're trying to spend it on yourself rather than recognizing God is trying to use you as an extension of him. That ultimately God doesn't want you just asking for stuff for yourself. God wants you to be the extension that you can become a blessing. And that your prayers should be that you overflow, not so you can be satisfied, but you overflow so that you can provide or bless others. I never want to know stuff just to know. I want to know stuff to teach. Because teaching is my method of expressing a love. And so musicians want to know what? They want to know music because they want to play music. And you can play for yourself or you can play for the love of others. That your music becomes an extension of you pouring out your love to other people. Or whatever gift we have, whatever gift we possess, that all those things, we use them and pray for God to bless us so that we can pour them out to others. And that whatever you have, you offer in love to others. It becomes your pouring out point. It becomes your emptying, your emptying of yourself in a love so that whatever you ask, God gives to you because God knows you're going to pour it out. Let's go back to Luke. Look again. Carrying that mindset into Jesus' discussion on prayer changes our view of what we're doing when we pray. Because if we believe we're praying in order to get stuff for ourselves, we don't understand who God is. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he what? gave. God so loved the world that he gave what? He gave his all, his only begotten son, whoever would believe on him, whoever. Not the smart, not the beautiful, not the talented, not the gifted, none of those, whoever. Not the old, not the young, not the, not the black, not the white, not the Latino, not whoever. Whosoever will, whoever will believe on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, what we give God, our life is not worth what he gives us in return. I give him a finite life. He gives me an eternal life back. I give a little thing. He gives a great thing. So understanding that I give little, God gives great. God says, now, now become a partner with me in making sure others get the same great that you got. Become my partner. Talk to me. Listen to me. Move with me. Be a person of prayer. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds and to him who knocks it will be opened i want you to look closely at the three words ask seek and knock asking is your words you talking to god seeking 
is you listening for God. Knocking is you moving where God says to move. You taking action according to what God says. Right here in this passage is a simple definition of prayer. Ask him, listen for him, and then move when he says move. Because everyone who speaks to God is what? They're going to receive what? They're going to receive something they hear back. Look at the order. You don't ask and get something. You ask and get an answer. Questions bring back answers. When you ask a question, you're asking to get an answer. How old are you? I'm expecting an answer. How are you feeling today? Questions are what? They're, it's an answer. Ask. If you ask, then you should respect to receive. But your receiving is in the form of hearing. Sometimes we've been asking and waiting for God to do something as opposed to asking and expecting an answer. Ask. Everyone who asks is going to receive. And then everyone who's seeking for an answer, they're going to find the answer. Sometimes we find answers we don't like. Sometimes we ask God and then we seek an answer and we see the answer and we don't like the answer. God, help me. (laughs) And God sends an answer. Is there another way you can help me? (laughs) Is there something besides that you can help me with? (laughs) Tell your neighbor, say, I'm going to seek and listen and accept the answer. Knock means that when you have received the answer, that you take action. See, the guy standing outside the door, he knows. He screams out, help me. He gets an answer. The answer is no. Now he got to knock. Got to take another action. And that's where, again, sometimes as Christians, we, we, we get off track. We don't take action on the things God says. So there was a problem I was having, and I, I was evaluating, and I went into life introspection. Thinking, oh, God, I've got to figure this out. And I'm meditating on things, and the answer comes, and I'm meditating because I don't like the answer now. And so now I'm meditating on another way, and then, it, then the Lord just said, remember in the garden where Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, it's okay to say, God, I don't want to do this. Is there another way? He said, but when I tell you the second time, you need to do it. <laughs> Even Jesus in the garden says, Lord, I see the cross in my future. I see where this is going. And I don't want to go that way. So if there's any other way, can this cup pass away from me? <laughs> Jesus said that. So it's okay if you question God. It's okay if when you get an answer, you say, God, does, you know, can, uh, can we go and work this out a different? But ultimately, the only way to get the enemy out of your life is to submit to God. Submit to God. Amen? Submit to God and the enemy will flee. Amen? All right, let's look at the rest of this. I want to take you. I'm taking you somewhere. I want you to be ready for when we get to the next level here. 
verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, if you're sitting next to a man, say, if your child asks for bread, or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If your child asks for something, would you give them something opposite of what they asked for? If your child asks for bread, would you give them a rock instead? No, you wouldn't do that. If your child asks for a fish, would you give them a serpent, a scorpion? Would you give them that instead? If you then being evil, verse 13, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When you ask God for things, God will give you the best for you. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ask, seek, and knock. Simple prayer. Today what we're talking about is supplication. So we had adoration, confession, thanksgiving. The fourth element of prayer is supplication. It is asking God. Asking God. Supplication is our asking God. Asking God. What are we asking? We're asking whatever it is we need. We're making our requests known before God. We're talking to God about who he is. We're talking about God about our questions that we have in our hearts. We're asking God. And as we're seeking, asking, knocking, what is God doing? God is, is responding one way or another, but God promises to respond. Now, as I said, the challenge with us is that prayer starts to become selfish if we don't have a focus on what supplication should actually be. And in this uh, book of, of Ephesians, Paul took the Ephesus, church of, of Ephesus through a stage of things. He started in chapter one saying that I'm praying for you that the eyes of your understanding be open. In other words, I'm getting ready to tell you some things that's going to be hard for you to receive. And I'm praying that God opens your eyes because you're going to hear some things that you're going to wrestle with. You're going to hear some things you're going to struggle with. So I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding be flooded with light, that you understand that God has a plan for your life. You understand that God puts power on you and that God is himself your strength. That's what I'm asking of you. I'm asking that your eyes be open. In chapter two, then he goes and he said, listen, you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ. Yeah. When you understand that you've already been seated in heavenly places. You've been taken out of just who you are as a human being and you've been placed in the kingdom of God in heavenly places in Christ. And you didn't get there by your works. You got there by the grace of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. In chapter three, he tells them that the church has been given to display the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers of darkness. In other words, the church is the model of what the devil needs to see. <laughs> How come the rest of y'all can't get on the train? <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Anyway, praise the Lord. Chapter three, he does. He tells them, here is the truth. The truth is that, G, that there's a mystery out here, been out here. Paul said, I, I'm, a, I'm a carrier of the mystery. And as the carrier of the mystery, what I want everybody to know is that God gave the church in order to be example. Amen. The church is the example for the world. And to who else? To principalities and powers of darkness. So the question is, why do we fight with that which we're an example to? 
chapter 4, he says, you are the body of Christ. I gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but I gave them in order to equip everybody else who is a minister of the gospel. That everybody who is part of the body of Christ is equipped and called to be a minister, serving one another and serving the world. Chapter 5, he said, husbands, love your wives. Love wives, love your husbands. And he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And then he goes in the beginning of chapter 6, he says, children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. Masters, don't abuse the people that work for you. He goes into all these relationships and talks about this kingdom and all these things. And he brings all this together. Then he gets to the point and says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. In other words, you won't be able to be the body of Christ. You won't have your eyes open. You won't be a model to the world. You won't be any of those things unless you're strong in the Lord and not strong in yourself. Strong in the Lord means that you're not counting on your own abilities, your own strengths, that that's not what you call for. That's not what you say is it, that you submit those things to God and let God then use them in a way that not only has your gifts be natural, but supernatural in how they come out. I can tell you a lot of clever things, but I can say something that says that means nothing to you. But if the spirit of the Lord takes it and the spirit of the Lord plants it in your heart, you will be away from me and it will still talk to you. Not because I said it, but because the power of God's might works. When God's word hits somebody, when God's word through song or word through preaching or word through any form, whatever God does, if God does it and he puts his anointing on it, it can touch somebody and follow them somewhere you can't be with them. And God can change people's lives through a word spoken. But then when we get to this whole end of this chapter here, the very end of the book of Ephesians, chapter eight, chapter six, Verse 18, he says, now this is what you need to be doing. He said, you need to be praying always. You need to be praying always. Remember 1 Thessalonians said, he said, pray without ceasing, right? Was he again, Paul again says, you need to be praying always. Praying always with all prayer. In other words, there's different kinds of prayer you should be praying with. You should be praying with all kinds of prayer and supplication. In other words, there's praying and adoring God and worshiping. There is praying and making confession. There's praying and giving thanksgiving. And then there's also making requests. But he says here really clearly, supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, don't make supplication just for yourself. Make your supplications, persevere. Be persistent, persevere, not just for yourself, but for the saints, for all the saints, all the people in here, all of us should have a list of people who you pray for every day. If you love God, you should have a list of people. Maybe the list of people is just the people in your immediate environment. Praise the Lord. If it's the people that live in your house, pray for them every day. Don't just pray for you. Pray for them every day. Because sometimes your prayer for them is, Lord, help me not kill these people in this house. That's the prayer of grace for everybody else in the house. Help me just not kill nobody today. (laughs) Now y'all with me, amen. (laughs) Amen. 
everybody should have a list of saints, people in your life that you're praying for. There should be a list that we have that we're praying for people all the time. And our prayers have to transform so they're not about me not killing you. But prayer has to be about, Lord, how can they be blessed? Lord, send your revelation, your understanding, not so they conform to what I want them to be or what they want them to do, but send your revelation that they become what you want them to become. Oh, my, bless my children to become what you desire for them to become. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, as I'm praying this prayer in faith, I thank you, Lord, that you're covering them. Lord, you're, that your anointing be on them, that your power be on them, that they accomplish what you sent them to do. And even if I don't like what they do, I praise the Lord that they be led by your eyes, that you guide them in a place that they need to go, uh, interceding for them, praying for the people on your job. Lord, bless them. Lord, care for them. Take care of them. But my boss is a devil from hell. That's okay. Pray for him. Redemption can come to all. Amen. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this person. I really, Lord, you sink my heart. You know I don't like him. <laughs> Praise Lord, you, Lord, you know I don't like him. But Lord, I'm praying that you bless him. I Lord, pledge that you bless them with your blessing, that your loving kindness, your tender mercies be revealed over them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you get to know them, that they know you with all their heart, Lord, that they come to a, a saving knowledge and understanding of you. And then you find out they was already saved. Y'all just was both being in the flesh and you didn't like each other. Well, <laughs> these two people I knew were having a conflict at work come to find out both of them go to church every Sunday they fight like cats and dogs at work and they ran into each other at a conference <laughs> you're a Christian <laughs> you're a Christian <laughs> Oops, <laughs> might have to retract something I said to you. <laughs> but what would happen? What would happen if we started thinking about our daily prayer life as being an opportunity to intercede for others? What if we started considering that as our normal behavior? that our normal behavior in prayer is, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give daily bread to this person that's sitting next to me. Lord, give daily bread to this person who lives in my house with me. Lord, give daily bread to these individuals. Lord, I thank you that today your blessing on me is so great that I'm willing to forgive the indebtedness of everybody who owes me. This person next to me, they owe me. But you know what, Lord? I forgive the debt. To forgive the debt is to forgive the obligation that they have to fix it, make it right, or do anything different. What if we woke up every day and we started rejoicing, remembering the good stuff, and pulling the good stuff to today. And then in the middle of that rejoicing, we started just giving thanks and we started worshiping God. And we started saying then, Lord, from that perspective, Lord, uh, you've been so good to me. I have so many blessings here that I'm just going to release the obligation this person has to pay me back. 
somebody owed me and my wife some money. And <laughs> I'm going to be real transparent. So this person borrowed the money. I'm going to say it the right way. This person borrowed the money. And then when they borrowed it from us and they didn't want to repay the money, they blamed someone else. Because they borrowed the money on behalf of somebody else. Well, that's not how you got the money. Because I'm not giving you money to give to somebody I don't know. Because I already know how that's going to go. If I give you money, I'm giving money because of me and you. Not them and you, because then you could have gave it to them. And if ain't neither one of y'all got some, y'all need to get some better, different friends. <laughs> so the person borrows money and their circumstances changed. And so then they're in a different situation than the original situation. They borrowed the money. I'm, I'm really trying hard not to say this in a certain way. So then, one day, they get all huffed up about something. And they're on the phone all <laughs> talking, just kind of like, hey, where's this coming from? As a matter of fact, if you're doing all that, where's my money? <laughs> we've, been, we've been good, but if you start barking, where's my money? <laughs> I've got to stop this story. I can't tell. I've got to leave it alone. I've got to leave it alone. I'm, I'm getting emotionally invested in the story. Anyway. Long story short is this. <laughs> Make it plain. <laughs> Long story short is this. The debt started to become a wedge. The debt started becoming a wedge. And so now this person's kind of raising up and barking and like, wait a minute, we don't do that kind of stuff. And then I found myself, I'm barking back. So now we got a big old problem. So at a certain point, I have to say, Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I have the power to release this debt. And so I can release that debt and never mention it again. Now, why is that important? Because now I'm free. Now I'm free. But if I'm caught up, then what I'm doing, I'm now been placed in a position, if I want to hold the debt, then what I'm doing is now I have to resist God in order to, to hold on to the debt. But if I can release the debt, now I can submit myself to God and be right back in the place where I'm overflowed again, and what I lost has been replaced from God, and I've given more on to somebody else. And guess what? Every person you give to should be free. And the Bible teaches us this. If you loan it to somebody, don't loan. Just give it. Give it so you don't create a debt. Supplication. Pray always with all prayer and supplication. The word supplication means to ask. It means to ask, ask, ask. Keep your finger there. Turn to 1 John. We're going to be done in just a second. 1 John chapter 5.
1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, him being Jesus. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the kind of confidence we have in God. Our faith gives us a confidence in God. This is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to what? His will. Then he hears us. If we can ask anything according to God's will, he will hear us. Remember what James said? We don't have because we don't ask or we asked amiss. We asked amiss. I've come to understand that when it comes to prayer and moving with God is that when I can get my prayers focused on other people, when I can start getting myself in position where I'm praying for the saints, where I'm praying for others, then God gives me abilities past my understanding. God gives me abilities past my understanding. Whenever I get stuck on myself, whenever I get stuck on me, then my perfectionism, everything else happens and I get paralyzed and I can't do half the things I want to do. You know why? Because it's about me and not about others. But if I can get my mind on others and I start praying and I start operating in that way, then God starts to use me as a blessing to somebody else. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Go back and we'll finish up in Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, what chapter 6 is known most for by most people is spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 becomes known by most Christians as a chapter about spiritual warfare. I want to challenge your understanding today. Ephesians chapter 6 is not about spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 is about love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, walk in love. See, what what most people look at and and gauge Ephesians chapter 6 as being a chapter about spiritual warfare is, is verse 13. And we're going to go there and I want you to to see a couple things because I'm going to tie this down. And remember, I got got a one-track mind today. I might be going a lot of places, but they're all leading back to the same spot. Amen? Amen? Actually, let's go to verse 10. Go to verse 10. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Number one, it's not your strength, it's God's strength. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this is where we start to believe spiritual warfare is the subject. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That pretty clearly says that we're wrestling with something in the sky. The question is, what are we wrestling about? The question is, who's supposed to be wrestling? against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This passage is referring to the same people that are referred to in Ephesians chapter 3, which I'm going to read to you, verse 9. Paul said, I am 
I was given power to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages was hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to this intent or purpose that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known or revealed to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So in that passage, what he says is that there's a mystery that's been out here all this time. And he said, now that I am a minister of the gospel, I'm making this mystery known once and for all. And that this mystery is going to be shown, this mystery is going to be shown by the church. The church of Jesus Christ is going to reveal the mystery to principalities and powers. And then in chapter six, after he says, be strong in the Lord and his power, then he says, now here's what's going to happen. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood and other people are not your problem. The husbands and wives that are referenced in chapter five and the children and the parents that are referenced in chapter six and the bosses and the workers in chapter six, none of those relationships are who you're ever supposed to wrestle with. Never. You're not wrestling with flesh and blood. You're supposed to be wrestling with principalities and powers. But he already said, wait a minute. He said, you're there to be an example to them. Let's go back to verse 10. Show verse 10, please. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. See, this is why you don't have to wrestle with the devil. This is why you don't have to fight the devil. You don't have to fight the devil because Jesus already fought him. Your job is to be clothed in Christ. Your job is to have a relationship with God so that your relationship makes you look like Christ. It makes you sound like Christ. It makes you operate like Christ so that Christ's victory is your victory. You may not get it, but I'm going to say it again because it's going to ride with you. Your whole job is to look so much like Jesus that you never have to fight a devil again a day in your life. <laughs> your whole job is to look so much like Christ. So Christ, like you still need to look so much like Christ. When the devil looks at you, he realizes he's defeated. Where does it begin? It begins in your prayer life. Your prayer life is what starts to make you look like Christ. Your prayer life is what starts to have you operate like Christ. Your prayer life is where your relationship with God becomes more than just what you think. It becomes how you operate. I know what Tammy's going to say sometimes. Many times. You know why? Because we become one. If you come and ask my opinion, say, what would Tammy say? I'm going to tell you, this is what Tammy would say. And I will most all the time be right. Sometimes I'll be wrong. <laughs> I want to make that mistake. <laughs> and the same thing for her. You'll say something to her. What did Derry think about this? She said, well, this is what Derry thinks. Why? Because the two become one. When you look at the armor of God that's listed in chapter 6, and I'm not going to get into it because we don't have time. When you look at it, what you're going to find out really quickly is all of it is not about fighting. All of it is about Christ. The helmet is of salvation. 
It's about Christ. The breastplate is about righteousness in Christ. Your loins of truth. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. John chapter one, Jesus is the word. It's not about fighting. It's about being clothed in Jesus and walking the love walk so powerfully that you can't be resisted by the things that fight against you. Prayer puts you in a position where your prayers are calling down the blessings of God on the church and over the world because you're praying and calling down redemption on the world. You're calling down salvation on the world. You're calling down the grace of God and the peace of God over people around you. And in their receiving it, their lives are transformed and changed. See, the church has kept the fight mentality when God's called us to walk in love. And you can keep on fighting or you start recognizing what you're called to do. You're called to talk to God, listen to God, and move with God. You're called to be a light in the darkness that doesn't replicate the darkness, that brings something so transformative, so so different. When Jesus was about to be crucified, he was told multiple times by people, if you are who you say you are, do something about your situation. If you are who you say you are, call down angels from heaven. If you are who you say you are, get off that cross. If you are who you say you are, then do whatever. But every time Jesus said, I don't have to do that. Because I got a mission. I got a purpose. My purpose is to love so love the world that I can give my life on behalf of others. It's a transforming way you think. It's a transforming the way you even think about church. It's a transformation about how you even decide to pray. What God is calling for is God's calling for people to raise up as intercessors. God's looking for every Christian to recognize that you've been blessed to be an intercessor for others. You've been blessed to pray on behalf of each other. And God says, I will give you an audience with me. I so love you that I'm going to bring you right before the throne of grace that you can find help in the time of need. And we always think it's our help. He's finding help for other people in God's presence. Find help for others in God's presence. How powerful is that? That you can change the world from your knees. You can change the world from your knees by your prayers, by you praying, you praying for others, you speaking life over others, you declaring and confessing and giving thanks for others around you that God can change your circumstances. I am a personal witness that you can change your life by being a blessing to other people. Mm, mm, mm. My life changed when I got a chance to become an intercessor. I gave my life to the Lord, and the first thing I did was join the intercessory prayer team. And I started learning how to pray. And when I started learning how to pray, they were teaching me how to pray, and I started praying, and I started praying. I said, okay, Lord, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I read the Lord. If I delight myself in you, you'll give me the desires of your heart. What delights you? The Lord said, you need to pray for other people. So I made a list of people I was praying for, and I got on my knees, and I was praying for other people every day. Every day I got down, I prayed on people. And then when I got done for praying for them, then I prayed for what I needed and what I wanted. And I prayed for them first, and I prayed for me. Then I prayed for them first, and I prayed for me. And day after day after day, and before I even understood God had elevated me and changed my life because I did something different. And I didn't do anything special. I did something different. 
I started praying for other people and God blessed my life as a result. Last thing I'm going to show you, please bring up Ephesians 6 verse 8 and then we're going to pray. Ephesians 6 and 8. If you get this, you'll get the rest of what I'm telling you. This is not a message to make you shout, but it's a message to change your life. This message will change your life if you give it an opportunity. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether you're a slave or whether you're free. In other words, your condition doesn't make a difference. If you do bless others, then God will bless you. And that's what becoming an intercessor is. It's learning how to pray for others, become a blessing to others, and God will bless you. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, I'm going to be blessed because I'm praying for others. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You have chain-breaking power in your life. You have the ability to break chains, and it's not because of anything except the fact you have a relationship with God. You have a kingdom relationship with God, and you've been set in heavenly places so that you can pray for others. Others who aren't there. Others who haven't come to understand. Others who are still walking in darkness. All it requires is us to take the cornerstone of the model prayer and begin to pray it over other people's lives. Our Father, I'm praying for others. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm praying for others. Father, forgive us our trespasses. I'm praying everybody be forgiven. Even the people I'm mad at and want to hold a grudge against, I'm praying that they be forgiven. Praise God and thanks for listening. Today's message was titled Supplication and Intercession from our new series, 40 Days of Prayer. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, please feel free to check out our website at alwc.us. On our website, you'll find more information about us, our church and our events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. Once again, that site is alwc.us. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash abundantlifeworship.net. God bless, and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Until then, remember that Jesus came to give you life, and that more abundantly.